Season three, episode four of The People's Project, where my glass is bigger than Josh's. Well, is that a metaphor? It is a reflection of everything to do with us in life. I'm just bigger in every way. So you're saying it's propaganda? It's propaganda. Let's not go propaganda again. On today's show, we're going to be talking about Josh going crazy. We're going to be talking about Meghan Markle, that lovely princess who is under fire from such extreme systemic racism, poor girl. Mm. And we'll be talking about ScoMo and his lack of spine. I think he's being spineless. And of course, uh, Damien Curry will be joining us to um, help me with that argument. I have a feeling we're going to disagree. And uh, we'll end the show with something. I don't know. We'll work that out as we go. Mm. But welcome to the 11th of March. Thank you. I appreciate being here. It's not the 11th of March. I want to thank everyone for their acceptance in this day. It's the 13th of March, I think it is. Let's roll. Matt, how are you doing? That's a good way to start. (laughs) (laughs) This is where you go crazy, this segment. Yeah, I know. I am going to go crazy. But first, I need to set it up for craziness to happen. I want you to talk to me. You like food, right? Oh, here we go. So you like food, and I want you to talk to me about your favourite food. Meat. Meat's your favourite food? Meat's all you eat, actually, isn't it? Yeah, it's true. It's a weird diet. I mean, I want to try it. It might be good. Solved a lot of problems for a lot of people. Mm. People who do elimination diets, they remove everything to remove autoimmune diseases. They go back to just beef, salt, and water, and then they add stuff in slowly and some people stop at certain points i just stopped after meat mm. a friend of mine had to do like a a diet that was really restrictive because they were trying to work out some sort of medical issue that they had it turns out they had lyme disease from when they were a kid yeah that's the elimination style diet i just mentioned it's a medical yeah. but why do you want to know about my favorite well food? contrast to the um favorite food what's what's something that you remember that's really disgusting the most horrible food? licorice no, really? wheat, wheatgrass juice. Wheatgrass juice. Raw wheatgrass juice. That's what cows eat. Do you know what happened to me yesterday? I swallowed a fly. Yeah. And you know when you swallow the fly and it and it no, sticks it... into your saliva? This is disgusting. And it story. crawls around in the back of your throat oh my in the throes of death as it drowns in your saliva. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. What I want to talk about is facial expressions. Okay. Have you ever heard the show of the show, the series Lie to Me? Yeah, famous show. Yeah, I loved the show. I thought it was amazing. I thought it was great. Uh, so much so that I actually investigated uh, micro expressions and body language developed by Paul Ekman. And it's a series of uh, six or seven facial expressions that are universal facial expressions amongst all cultures. And it got me into body language. That's key amongst all cultures. Yes, that's right. But there are certain gestures of body language that are very specific to culture. For example, if I go like that, you might know automatically what I mean, whereas not all cultures have that gesture. It's like the Indian head bubble. Yeah. different things. So we've got a, um, a photo of the different gestures and um, I just want to show you a number of them. So this is obviously anger, contempt, disgust, surprise, sadness, happiness, 
fear. These are, generally speaking, the universal ones. And Ekman has a community of psychologists that study this thing, and there's a consensus about some of them, um, some emotions. They're not sure whether are universal or yet. They don't have a consensus on it. But basically, these ones are pretty set. Um as being universal to human beings in all times and places. Uh, why is this important, do you think? This is interesting because what you're describing, uh, you usually pull up books on me, which I can do <laughs> on yes, you I do. in a minute. Um, tell me when I can do that. But I get the feeling that micro-expressions are important. So they're the mm. ones where they're hard to hide, they happen really quick. Yeah. We're probably doing it to each other all the time on camera throughout this episode. Mm. Um, so this is important to me because you can tell people's feelings and they can't really hide them when they're micro expressions. And That's right. I assume you're going to analyse some of our political leaders through this lens. A little bit, but first I'm going to give everybody a, a little chance to see a video of me, oh, which is right. my intro video to actually doing this show. Mm. This is what started everything. So I'm going to, in this video, exhibit a gesture and I'm going to exhibit a, a expression of emotion and see if you can uh, pick it and we'll come back and talk about it. We elected you to be our premier. I accept that, absolutely. But there's coming a day, premier, where you're going to stand face to face with the voters of Victoria and we are going to sack you. So Matt, you saw that video. Yeah, well that's how I found you. Yes, I know, but did you spot what expressions that I was I thought uh, you were angry. exhibiting? I was angry, that's right. Yeah. Did you notice when I said... A rare moment of emotion from our... <laughs> a rare Josh. moment. Um, do you remember in the video where I said, I accept that absolutely when I'm talking about Dan Andrews being voted in? Yeah. Um, you were shaking your head. Yeah. The opposite so, of what you were saying. See, I accept that. Whereas no, it's weird when someone goes like, this is what I did. I accept that. I accept that. Absolutely. I'm You're telegraphing slipping. that yeah. I'm telling you yeah. I have no confidence in what I just said. Yeah, yeah. Because your body can lie. Well, you know, this is just a quick aside. Is that okay for me? Yeah, go up? for it. So this is an FBI agent called Joe Navarro um, called What Everybody is Saying. And I do a lot oh, of... Show me the photo. I do a lot of reading um, on body language. I've heard him speak. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's good. And Alan Pease, Barbara Pease, they made body language famous. But the point is exactly what you're saying is that um, they make the point that you can't see it as direct like, say, Dan Andrews does this or you do mm. that. It's not 100% therefore no. that's the truth. It's just a tell yep. that there's something incongruent there. Yep. And with their whole premise generally in body language theory is that the body lies far less Mm. Then the some voice. would say that the body uh, finds it extremely difficult to lie, and different parts of the body too, mm. because you've got they talk about two systems: the cognitive system, your thinking, mm. the the decision to deceive or to break a rule, or is or the decision to lie happens here, 
But your body isn't necessarily connected to that. That's right. Your body, the emotional system, is connected to your chemistry and your feedback and your your deep seated emotions. It's it's, yeah. it's time independent, and so when those when those two disagree with each other in the one person you get some tells like you were saying yeah. and some of those tells are micro expressions that yeah. the definition of micro expression sure. it has to last less than a half second yeah but some people don't uh, hide their expressions it comes on for longer i want to give you an example oh sorry i didn't say the second one that I exhibited was when I said, um, Dan Andrews, if the government won't vote you out or fire you, we will, we will fire you. Yeah. And did you see? Well, you're like, you, you believe that we probably won't vote him out. No, no. Have a check. What's the, what's the one where you're lifting up? Disgust. Disgust. Exhibiting disgust for for him for him oh. being in office. Oh wow! So in other words, you really don't like him in office. Exactly. That's what I'm. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's betraying my true feelings. So I'm trying to be balanced with my words, but my feelings would like to be a little bit more aggressive. And so I'm saying, we'll we'll vote you out if no one else does. You know. So I'm disgusted yeah. at this this process. We do this all the time, you know. Like yeah, all the time. People... Like when you were talking about food, did you see how happy he was? It's yeah, real but... happiness too because he had crow's feet. Yeah, in in the eyes, right? Because yep. we know fake smile. You know, it is. Yeah, fake smile. Fake smile. Fake smile. Because it's not the Because the eyes aren't there. Mm. Eichmann says that if the crow's feet aren't there, it's not a real smile. So if you're really young and you don't have crow's feet. Well, these muscles is what he's trying to point out. Because he deals with deception in legal issues. Yeah. It's in the eyes. Uh, It's in the eyes. America's Next Top Model, um, side thought, they say you can smile, smiling with the eyes, without the mouth. Anyway, sorry. Um, So I want to show you a a video of the Dan Andrews inquiry. I love this video. Before you showed me this video, I I was very shocked at, at the way he swears on this Bible. Yeah. I saw it live and I thought, why is he doing that weird expression? And if you see that expression, you might be able to tell which one it is. And we'll talk about that a bit later. Let's go to that video. So I'll have my associate administer the oath to you now. Thanks, Madam Associate. Please raise the Bible in your right hand and repeat after me. I swear by Almighty God. I swear by Almighty God. That the evidence I shall give. That the evidence I shall give. Will be the truth. Will be the truth. The whole truth. The whole truth. And nothing but the truth. And nothing but the truth. Thank you, Premier. If you can put the Bible down now and I'll hand you to Miguelyard. I'm telling you, when I saw that, that little, when he puts the Bible down, I was like, get that mind Kampf away from me. Yeah. And that's if you don't know, if you can't tell. Um, yeah. The lip corner, uh, it's basically considered a um, asymmetrical smile mm. uh, or just pulling a tightness on one side of the face. Dan Andrews does this a lot. He does. He does it a lot. Now, some of them are because he's trying to swallow. Yeah. I call it the fish face. Mm. 
Mm. He does that a lot. It was really hard. I was watching hours of videos of Dan Andrews to try and make sure I wasn't saying something that wasn't justified. Wow. So he does this all the time. These are just some examples that you've used. I couldn't, didn't have time for the, to show you, but the interview that he had with Credlin, he does, does them Mm. as well. Mm. And he gets angry at one of the questions, Mm. which is a narrowing of the eyes Mm. and a, you know, um, contempt. I've heard from marriage counsellors that there's a lot of things that you can work through when you're angry at your partner, mm. when you distrust your partner and they're cheating on me. But the thing that really they know the relationship's over is when you lose respect for the partner and you show contempt. Mm. Like they're, they're, I don't care. Yeah, they yeah. call... That's uh, over. What was his name? Gottman did a lot of research in uh, marriage breakdowns. Okay. And um, he's pretty pretty much a leader in his field uh, or one of the leaders in his field and he breaks it down to the four horsemen of relationship breakdown and he says that the most toxic and poisonous one is contempt because contempt um, gives you a superiority over someone to say that you are so low and I am up here. Um, Well, there's a little-known clinical psychologist who also teaches on this now. His oh, okay. name's Jordan something, Peterson. Oh, something. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Little known psychologist. Yeah. Um, uh, Gottman says that uh, basically if if you're behaving out of contempt, you're going to be more likely to um, uh, mock or to uh, condescend or those sorts of things. You're going to um, mimic or it's just... Everything is poisonous about it, he says. Dan Andrews does this 24-7. See, that's, that's why in I In public was, life, sorry. When he, in public life, when he's, um, when he's giving uh, information, sometimes it's not a real contempt. It's a... It, yes, but that's hiding because when you see him in parliament the same day, he'll do a presser, he'll do like that, he'll go into a parliament and you'll be the same thing but exaggerated. Mm. So it's like he was holding back. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean because I've seen it a couple of times and you saw it when he swore on the Bible. Yeah. There was a bit of contempt, a bit of contempt, yeah. but then when he looked down and handed it, there was like a big contempt. And then he gets out and says, Margaret Court's disgusting bit of Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> well, he didn't name her. He said that oh. she was a bigot, but yeah. it was obvious. And he and he shows facial expressions. Um, I have uh, another video of Dan Andrews. Yay. That uh, is his final thoughts in the inquiry. Mind you, his section of the inquiry was over two hours, and I watched it carefully. Hey, look, you're not alone in being forced to watch Dan Andrews. I'm here watching it with you as well, okay? Here you go. If I can briefly make a couple of very important points. Uh, Mistakes have been made in this program and answers are required. Those mistakes are unacceptable to me. I want to thank you, Madam Chair, and the Board of Inquiry and all of your staff for the work that you are doing and will do. I want to make it very clear to each and every member of the Victorian community that I am sorry for what has occurred here. And I want to issue an unreserved apology to all Victorians. And I want to say to you, Madam Chair, that I await your final report, the work, the conclusion of your work, so that we can understand better what has occurred. And so that I, as the leader of the government, can take the appropriate action to ensure that these sorts of errors never occur again. 
Make no excuses. Cutting the health budget costs lives. Yes, it costs lives. And that's why I will never cut hospital funding. I can't look at something this important as a politician. I have to look at it as a dad, a son, a husband. That's why whatever else I do if I become Premier, I'll never cut the things that families rely on. Victorians need a Premier who will put good jobs, good schools and good hospitals first. That's why I'm determined that an Andrews Labor government will be all about putting people first. Okay, Josh, that's funny, and I appreciate watching lots of Dan Andrews again every week, uh, but why the bit on the end about him putting people first? I mean, he says this all the time. When... Well, it's to reiterate a point that you don't listen to what politicians say, you pay attention to what they do. And if you notice in the um, closing section where he could say anything he wanted, yeah. he doesn't, he distances himself from the people that are responsible or that he feels responsible, and he elevates himself as like the leader and takes responsibility almost like the wounded warrior, yeah. you know, and he doesn't mention death at all. And he says, I sincere apology for uh, everything that's happened. Know. But the thing is, no one in the public is watching it. He's only in a room <laughs> with uh, four other uh, um Lawyers, yeah. this is not a public thing. It's almost like he has his his final thoughts are a politicizing speech. Yeah, but that's yeah. But he does this all the time. But people don't believe his apologies. We know that they say it's not a real apology. Well, I'm saying that he's missing out on the. There's no em appropriate emotional content in that last bit. Yeah. It's just bare face. Like the only emotions that I've seen him show are lots, lots of like, you know, nodding or shaking his head contrary to what he's saying, especially around his conversation with ScoMo mm. and the what he said in the press conference before the announcement to do hotel quarantine and all mm. that sort of stuff. Mm. So anything around those those two days or whatever you know, his emotions are going off the charts. But when he talks about the crisis in Victoria, there's no actual emotion of sadness going on. That's really deadly for him. He needs to display sadness over the deaths of his people. Do you know that according to Ekman, one of the hardest, one of the hardest emotions to fake in your expression is sadness? Really? Because really? of, if you look, where is it? Yeah. Sadness. The corners of the mouth go down. That is not a natural way that you hold your mouth. And at the same time, your eyebrows come together and up. That's really hard to do. It's like mm. patting your head and rubbing yeah. your stomach at the same time. The best way is to be sad. The, the, the best way to show a genuine emotion is to be in the emotion. That's what actors do, yeah. That's... Mel Gibson is excellent mm. at doing sadness, not because he fakes sadness or acts sad, because he brings up a sad memory. Like I heard him talk about it. You bring up a sad memory and you're actually sad. Yeah. Um, talking about sadness and as a contrast, I have a video of Christian Porter. Oh, this is so sad. So I just wanted to start by saying something to the parents who are grieving for the loss of their adult daughter. 
I only knew your daughter for the briefest periods uh, at debating competitions when we were teenagers about 33 years ago. I was 17 years old and I think that she was 16 years old. And in losing that person, your daughter, you suffered a terrible loss. And you did not deserve the frenzied politicisation of the circumstances of your daughter's death in the past week. And I have thought long and hard about the implications for you of what I feel that I need to say today. I was determined to follow the process set out by the AFP Commission and it's a process because of my background I know well. To not comment on allegations through the media because it risks prejudicing any investigation. So I've waited until the New South Wales Police concluded their consideration of the matter. And staying silent, following the rules, is a very difficult decision. While I have followed the rules and stayed silent, I have been subject to the most wild, intense, unrestrained series of accusations that I can remember in modern Australian politics. Maybe that's the new normal. I hope for everyone's sake it's not. If I stand down from my position as Attorney General because of an allegation about something that simply did not happen, then any person in Australia can lose their career, their job, their life's work based on nothing more than an accusation that appears in print. If that happens, anyone in public life is able to be removed simply by the printing of an allegation. Every child we raise can have their lives destroyed by online reporting of accusations alone. My guess is that if I were to resign and that set a new standard, well, there wouldn't be much need for an Attorney-General anyway because there would be no rule of law left to protect in this country. So I will not be part of letting that happen while I'm Attorney-General. And I'm sure that you will ask, so I will state to you, I am not standing down or aside. Sad man. That is an example of sorrow, grief. And do you notice when he had the opportunity to start his speech, he was talking about... The woman. The victims, yeah. the victim's family. Yeah. He does use some separating speech, so he doesn't call her by name. He can't. It's illegal. Oh, really? Yeah. He, oh, I he, didn't know that it was yeah, illegal. Well, if you watched the whole speech like I did. No, I did watch the whole speech. He says I'm just not on. a lawyer. Now, he says, um, due to the nature of the legal thing, I can't even name this poor woman. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense then because all of his body language and what he says tells me that he's being 100% genuine. Yeah, I felt for him. Man. I watched through the whole thing and far out... Uh, like, I was trying, I, I was almost, when I started, I was hoping that he was lying. I could mm. find something mm. as a contrast. But all I could find during that whole press conference was the fact that he was deep in grief mm. and that he keeps talking about other people. And when he gets accused of something, he doesn't get angry. He does this and he says, yeah. I can't, you know, this is the universe. I don't think it's universal. I think this is actually culturally specific. But he's saying, look, I don't have any weapons. And and yeah. he's backing back from it. He's saying, I'm not a threat. I'm not a threat. Yeah. That's very different from, let's say, for example, with Dan Andrews. With Dan Andrews, his, his, if you notice his body language, it's all tight in. Everything, he holds his hand so he doesn't make 
Lee um, Sales did this to him, and he started to become like this. Oh, really? Did you see not see her question him? No. Like Credlin, but better. Anyway, I'll oh, show okay. you later. Show yeah. So, in other words, um, you should watch carefully the whole interview and not let media snip it up. Mm. Mm-hmm. because it's important to have context. But also think about emotions that you can't hide. Now, it's not giving everybody license to judge everybody, um, but what it's doing, it's it's extra information yeah. because listening to what someone says is not necessarily the truest thing. Yeah. You've got to watch what people do and how people present themselves and the difference between Dan Andrews' politicised end of his inquiry speech that doesn't even mention anybody dying or anything Mm. Um, and Christian Porter starting off the speech by saying I'm really sorry to the family about what I'm going to have to say yeah you know and all through the speech he's talking about his colleagues and other people and then he talks about um, the future kids who are going to have their lives destroyed by accusations yeah. on Facebook yeah. and he says, I'm not stepping down, but I am taking two weeks off because I'm exhausted. Yeah. Like it, it was just such a big contrast. And it, I have, I had no opinion, no strong opinion about Christian Porter before I watched it. After watching it, I actually have quite a lot of respect for him. Yeah. I, I was saying I didn't really care about him because I know he's been a bit of a lad and done some, uh, apparently in that he's not been the greatest guy. I don't know. But when I saw that, I thought, wow, this guy's a very genuine guy. But this is why you've got to be careful when you read media statements, mm. especially when I read people like our Premier and it says something. Mm. It's, he's very good at writing those. And like on Facebook, he's a phenom. He's amazing. Dan yeah. Andrew's Facebook is really good. Tight. Lo- when I watched the countless amounts of hours about Dan Andrews, the thing that I take away from that is, one, contempt keeps coming up for whatever reason. All I can't. Time. I can't say why it's coming up, but it does come up. And that everything seems so much much more controlled and on purpose. He's very controlled. Uh, he's, he's like yeah. a walking media statement. Yeah, that's why you've got to get into his home where he feels safe and throw up things that are unexpected to get him off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it might sound a bit uh, uh, crass considering he's in hospital, yeah, but no, he's still the premier. No, you, but the reason why we're doing that to knock him off his controlledness is not because we want him to fail. No. Some people do. I want the truth. I want the truth. Yeah. And if you knock him sideways, we can see what's real, take the mask off, and then we can judge. Mm. But the fact that he holds the mask up, and that's why I watch his statements, say them rather than read them, because it tells you a whole lot more. Yeah, true. Yeah. Is that the end of the segment? You're watching The People's Project, but there is another great show on the Discernible Network, and that is The Other Side Australia. And today we are joined by the host of The Other Side, Damien Curie, who assures me that he is, I've been teasing him that he's a boomer, but he's not. He's in fact Generation X, and you're Generation X, and I'm Generation Y, so you're all old bastards. All right, welcome Damien Curie. How are you? I'm very well. Good to meet Josh. Hi, Josh. G'day, Damien. How are you? It's good. This is the first time we've met. It is. <laughs> it's good to finally put you two together. You both speak very highly of one another. Uh, Damien, why are you on the show? Why are you, You've got your own show. Why are you invading this one? 
Well, I thought you wanted to talk about Meghan Markle and oh the, the public relations. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And I'm not putting any Meghan and Harry on the other side, by the way. So other side, episode 26 up now, by the way. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Here we go. <laughs> Meghan Markle, look, look, she's... Okay, let's talk about Meghan Markle and Harry, the victims of some institutional and systemic racism in the UK, especially coming from the royal yeah. family. Very, very, very racist institution. So what say you, Mr Curry? What say I? Well, I think we can't make an assessment. That's what I say. So uh, because we don't know how much she was actually tormented within the family uh, or by the firm or by the institution, as she kept saying. And it is quite possible that they treated her very badly and that that turned into, you know, depression and then the suicide ideation um, that she described. So, you know, that could have been because of the fact, I would say would be more the fact that she isn't, uh, you know, royal blood or lineage. Um, I don't know how long it's been that they've been allowing commoners to be, you know, um, enter into the family like they do now, but as they put it, commoners. Um, but I mean, the fun, the, 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 the essence of the institution uh, is based on, you know, privilege so you can't really and, and lineage so 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 you could describe that as racism in one way but i don't think it's racism in the sense that oh we don't want any you know dark-skinned people oh, in the family sake. or anything come like on damien i mean obviously i was being facetious because the the pe these people seem to reach so quickly for the race card or the systemic card and they're blaming everyone besides themselves key point here is harry who was questioned why he dressed up as hitler and made some racist comments 10 15 years ago and he says well i was a product of the system in which i was raised it's the system's fault yeah so you know it, it's like you can't then exactly i mean you can't seek to have the benefits of the system while criticizing that system i don't think so you know, you've got two parallel narratives running, right? You've got that narrative, which is, you know, that the royal family is all racist and she's a complete victim and she had depression and suicide ideation and wasn't getting adequately and appropriately treated, right? Then you've got another narrative running, which is that they treated her very well, uh, that she's a pain in the neck and was behaving like a spoiled brat uh, and was unappreciated, unappreciative and lacks a sense of duty. So what you've got there is just these two complete competing realities um, and, and, everybody's just grabbing onto the reality that best fits them. And that's what I find so fascinating about this because it mirrors a bunch of paradigms at the moment. It mirrors the differences between the US and UK culture. It mirrors the difference between victimhood ideology and stoicism ideology. And it mirrors, a, or probably Josh is probably gonna correct me that they're not ideologies in a minute, but anyway. Um, and, and it mirrors a more generational the generational gap between your generation, Matt, and, and Josh and my generation is more mature, sophisticated, intelligent, considered. So, yeah. Well, when I've looked at the um, the royal family in the past, there's been a lot of emotional problems, family problems. Um, Queen Victoria was very overbearing to her kids. I mean, they have a history, a, a cultural history, but also a, a family history, because we've got to remember this is a family, um, a family history of, um, you know, pretty abusive grandparents and, and great-grandparents and other things like that. And so, I mean, it would be better. So Megan Markle's looking at the situation. She's looking at it through her... Um, 
Californian eyes and she's looking at a imperial institution, whereas the Queen and the other members of the royal family are looking back and saying, this is our family. And our family, we've it's been drilled into us since we were children to look after our reputation, to ha- to you know manage our public image, and the media are going to um, the paparazzi and the media are going to destroy us if we're not careful, and we need to not air our family matters in public. Whereas Meghan Markle doesn't doesn't come to it with that mindset. She comes to it with the media is actually where you air all your grievances. And so there's this fundamental difference in the view and Harry should be the connector to help Megan um, associate with his, with his family, but it doesn't seem like he's doing it. It seems like he's actually being led by her. Yeah, it's hard to know what's happening to Harry, and I do agree with you totally, Josh, that that he he is probably the major issue here in the sense that, well, where was he when she was allegedly having these sort of very serious... Uh, I mean, she, she said he was with her, but where was he in terms of accessing and using the, you know, going to the to the institution or whatever and, and finding her the, the appropriate help? Because it's, it's a weird picture to paint. I mean, she's trying to paint the, the perspective that the royal family are disconnected somehow from you know, modern mental health, uh, uh, you know, services and, and, and attitudes. And that's not really the case. I mean, the, the, it's well known that I think Diana had therapy. I think the boys had therapy after their mother died. I mean, there are, there are many mental health charities that the royal family, different members of the royal family support and work in. So there is an understanding and appreciation of, you know, sensible modern approaches to mental health. Um, but, you know, you can have depression and or a mental health disorder uh, and that can be separate from your character and behaviour. Um, so, you know, the question is, do you believe that her her value system, which is the US value system of and a millennial value system, I guess, more of, you know, we air everything very publicly, we put everything out there. I mean, this is the classic difference between the US and the UK, right? Mm. And Australia sort of sits in a Canada sort of sits somewhere in the middle. So it's like, you know, the Americans air everything. The British are very stiff upper lip, very reserved, very stoic. Um, and they value that stoicism. They value the fact that you don't, you know, air your dirty laundry in public. They they respect that and they honour that. And that's a tradition of the royal family. Um, so I think you've got that those two things. It's a massive culture clash there, as you said. But it also mirrors that idea of the... the, the and I don't want to paint all millennials with the same brush because obviously... You know, young Matt there is is not like this, but there are a lot of millennials who are, you know, relish this this uh, woke identity. Part of woke identity culture is virtue signaling and the status. You gain status in that culture by having had more, by having more diversity about you and having had more difficult life experiences. If you don't have that diversity, if you have privilege, then you need to counter that with some sort of trauma, uh, almost in the narrative. So that's the narrative she's trying to play, that she's the victim here. Um, Damien, she's you, doing it from a position of extreme privilege. You, okay, this is where I wanted to go because you, you talk about the woke quite a lot and I've never used the word so much since meeting you. And I know Josh has a bit of a problem with that off air we're talking about the way that we're lumping in that group of people into like a caricature like they do to everyone else. 
But there is a hypocrisy there that I think we can't look past. The fact that you had Oprah, Oprah, sitting there talking about systemic racism and privilege to Meghan Markle, who's complaining that she's a victim. Okay, she may have her own issues and be victimized in certain ways, but there's a whole bunch of people around the world, millions of people watching, saying, grow up, kiddo. We've got bigger problems to deal with. That's really what you're going to complain about? Yeah, it's absurd. I mean, when you look at it in context of, you know, here are people who are worth, I think, almost $300 million was the figure. Um, You can put that in the bank at 3% interest, you know, and, and, and be taking home a decent amount of money every week. Um, you don't, they don't have to work. They could afford to pay for their own security. I do sympathize on the security question though. I think he, you know, Harry's a Royal, not, not of his fault. Uh, and, and he should be entitled to some security, uh, because it does affect his life enormously. Um, and so, and and they are his family. So he should have security for his family. I have no problem with, uh, with, with the UK taxpayer or even the rest of us having to pay a little bit for that in the Commonwealth. But, um, but, it, but apart from the, the security question, they're, they're very wealthy. They don't need to have this incredibly public life. Now, um, I guess they're trying to make a decision about whether they want to contribute or not and whether they want to be in public life. I think it's pretty clear they do want to be in public life. They don't want to be in the royal life. Um, so I guess you can do that, but you've got to do it with a bit of, a bit of dignity and class and respect. Um, well, let's be clear. Think- they are not yeah. trying to get privacy. They said they wanted privacy, and she claimed she was willing to move move to South Africa or New Zealand, a Commonwealth country. That would a lie. They have positioned themselves in the mecca of the opposite of privacy, of the spotlight in LA, and they've engaged PR firms. I'm crucifying me and you about to you could put stand it, up for it. You could put it a little bit more gently in the sense that uh, it seems that not publicity, but a platform. So they have the opportunity for a platform to say things that they believe um, are part of what the, what the public needs to hear and the common good. They, in their mind, they're probably thinking, we're not doing this to, you know, fulfill the, the whinginess of the, of the English <laughs> tradition, but... Um, more along the lines of we need to change the world, which is a very millennial slash Gen Y sort of deal. So it's still a lie then? We want privacy? No, it's not a lie. It, it, might be, it might be a deception. So you can have two desires that don't necessarily um, match with each other. Like, for instance, Diana would have given anything for a bit of privacy. But at the same time, she had a massive public figure. She used to tip them off where she was going to be. Well, let's not, let's not go to, that's true, but let's, but that putting it there makes it suggest that she's being duplicitous where I don't think she was. By tipping the press off to where she's going to be so they could get photos whilst crying poor that she wasn't getting privacy and they weren't living her alone. Which one do you, you want? You can do both. Those both those two things can exist at the wow. same time. You can be hot because, and cold at the same time. Well, apparently. no, you can be attractive and ugly at the same time. It just depends on what's going on inside. So, for example, like, Megan... I don't think she's being dishonest and I don't think the royal family are being dishonest in how they say they were treating her well. 
what I see is both of those two things happening at the same time. So, for instance, Meghan Markle considers the um, stiff upper lip the the sort of the um, maybe considered oh. passive aggressive their stoicism, whereas she wears her her heart on her sleeve completely. And so, just the miscommunication between those two factors could mean two people could be tra- describing the same uh, event and both of them being 100% honest to their feelings. Yes, to themselves, to their own feelings, I guess. But would it necessarily, Josh, be that they're... I mean, who's entering whose culture here, right? She has a responsibility to adapt herself to that culture because of what she's signed up for voluntarily, in my view. Yeah, no, I'd agree. Um, but, and, and also, but when has young people given you confidence that they uh, value responsibility or they consider responsibility in in that sense. Well, she's not that young, so I think she's, you know, it's probably time for her to demonstrate some of that. But she's I mean, been an actor. So if I, if she was, um, say, Hillary Clinton's daughter, you might have a different response. But how she was brought up was in such a different context... Um, that her value system is not going to be able to, I don't believe, understand the value system of the royal family. And that's where I think Hen- um, yeah, okay. Harry where needed Harry to step up. Right. Yeah. yeah, and he hasn't. And I think if you, the comparison really is Mary of Denmark. I mean, if you look at how Mary, as an Australian, went into that environment and she was hammered by the Danish press initially with scepticism because... You know, who's this foreigner coming in and marrying our guy? Um, so what did she do? She knuckled down, humbly knuckled down and learned a very complicated language mm. late in life and studied like a, like a dog, that, the history of the country, the language of the country. She accepted and bought into that role. And you could argue that Megan being a, an actress should, be, should have been able to recognise that and do that as well. Um, she wanted to play the role, but she wanted to play it on her terms mm. And not and without sort of respect for that history, and I think that's another characteristic of the millennial generation. Not to to bucket them too much more, but but really, um, it is pretty dominant in the millennial generation that there's this kind of disrespect and disregard for history, as if everybody in history was some evil, you know, v- racist, sexist villain, and everybody and, and there were no there was no virtue in history. And so there's nothing in this institution that's been going for thousands of years that's worth looking at or examining or respecting. So I'm just going to come in with my American values and tell you how it should be, folks. Mm. Um, and I think that showed pretty early. I mean, she was embraced very positively by the press. Piers Morgan made this point the other day that she was, you know, showed a bunch of newspaper front pages of when they were first got together and how positive the coverage was. And she did very well on the trip to Australia and all of that stuff. And they loved her. And, you know, maybe she claims that people wanted to bring her down after that because she was doing too well. Um, every royal goes through a cycle of getting bashed by the press. That's how yep. it works. It's Kate like did a as positive well. cycle, then a negative. And you just ride it out. You know, you yep. just go, okay, I need to readjust. I need to do some signals now that are very uh, humble, uh, very respectful, uh, very virtuous, very, uh, you know, in the truth, in the d- deeper sense. Go out and do that for a couple of months, do a Diana, um, and and win them back, right? Mm. If you're such a, a superstar, and it won't take that long um, before it'll turn again. 
because that's what that's, I how think, the, that's how public opinion is. It's irrational and, and childish. It just follows. You know, you're a bad guy one day, you're a good guy the next. You're a bad guy the next day, you're a good guy the next day. Yeah, and I think. But again, Harry should have taught us. Yeah, exactly. I think what we're looking at is the the effects of not being able to have a clear personal identity of who you are, but you have to import that from a culture or some sort of uh, philosophy like wokeness or something like that. Um, but you also see the difference that character makes, personal character, in um, facing out-of-the-norm situations. Like we've all seen like child stars not handle the fame so well or people that come into money uh, very quickly um, not really using that well, whereas it's not really taught to kids to develop a strong character unless you're at a charter school or some sort of private school that is trying to groom you into some sort of position like politics or uh, business. Okay, well, I think we should wrap up this Meghan Markle talk. We've given her a lot of airtime. But, Damien, I was actually uh, Gen Y millennial here who's the opposite of what you've just described. I was not popular amongst my family when um, Meghan Markle was getting married, the big royal wedding. And I was disgusted with the wedding and I said so publicly that this isn't the way she was trashing institutions and everyone was doing their clap, clap, look at you breaking all the rules. And I could see from then, hey, this girl is, she's causing trouble. She's anti this whole conservative movement. So I think there are some millennials like myself who want to see that, um, those old things conserved. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not, I'm not even sure that the millennial ideology that dominates is actually the dominant millennial ideology, by the way. I'm not sure that, hmm. that millennials are as woke as the woke millennials would have us believe because they're so loud. That is a very good point. Before we go to that, Damien, uh, we need to move on with the show, but can you stick around? Because I want to talk to you about um, something to do with ScoMo and see if I can get you on my side to fight against Josh here. Let's talk about ScoMo. Where the bloody hell is his spine? This is based off an article by <coughs> Stephen Spartacus in The Spectator Australia. And Spartacus. He, Spartacus. I'm cool. Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. He does a really good job of outlining the craziness of this $1.2 billion slush fund mm, to slush Big fund. Mate over here. Uh, I know I sound Joycey. like I know I sound like the Labor Party right now, but this is odd for me because I grew up Liberal Party fan, conservative mm. parents. And I'm discovering that the left or the Labor Party or the Greens have some valid grievances and I'm trying to give air to them because I think people on the right, like Damien Curry, who we've been speaking to, uh, just write them all off. Mm. And and I don't, I don't know where you, you're a weird one. You kind of listen to all sides. But let me tell you what's happened here, right? $1.2 billion half price flights. But you know the destinations, some people are saying they're marginal seats. Well, they all are except one. And the other thing is they are chosen in a way that benefits the airlines. For a start... Well, not only the airlines. Okay. You're adding nuance to my argument, and I don't appreciate no, you're it. you're going media, as in, like, the media talking points are the, are the actual issue, where there are more issues. Like, for example, Webjet 
are going to buy those 50% off tickets and they're going to sell them in a package that helps hotels and other things and yep. they're going to sell it at a discount. Yep. So it's not just like, let's just funnel money to the friends. Okay. He's try. I get it. But the way of doing it. So the way that Labour would do it would be funneling to their mates. The way they do it is funneling to their mates. And this does not look good. This looks like... No, but who's the critic? Everyone. No. Who's not the original people's... critic of... What do you mean? Who's the original critic of this story? So it's like who's bringing up and showing it to you and going, look at what ScoMo is doing. Do you know what I mean? In, in my world, I've been following it from people I trust. Mm. So who, writers. Okay. Not main... And then the mainstream is also going There's some a bit embellishment well. is what I'm saying. So when you start to include like emotional language, it starts Did to... Did I use emotional language? Mm, yes. What did I say? Um, I can't. I don't Slush have funds. a absolute recall of every single word. I don't you think say. I did. I, I think. I think. Slush I, fund. That's an emotional it, suggestion. How is that emotional? Because it is a slush fund. But that's what I'm saying. That's why we use emotional language. Is because to us we're emotional about the issue, and so we use emotional language not to communicate about the issue, but to communicate about how we feel about the issue. So you use slush fund, whereas someone else might use a different word. Okay, what well, I mean it literally. I mean slush fund in the sense that yeah, I don't see it that way. As I said, because the people who are buying the tickets are different industries, like Webjet or. Um, the other travel agencies, then they sell packages that they negotiate with different... Yeah, you're saying... So that this is actually some a stimulus package that doesn't... You're, you're suggesting it's focused. I'm saying, no, it's, it does spread out quite widely to a very negatively affected industry. Yes, but you're extolling the virtues of it. But I'm calling into question its DNA in that our government, when I say slush fund, I mean they identify certain markets, certain players in the market to funnel their program through who disproportionately benefit at the expense, well, maybe not always at the expense, but, but have a point. Big business seem to be the big winners in this. When the best thing a liberal government could do right now to help the entire economy, the entire market, every business, small and big, not just West Farmers, would be to reduce taxes <laughs> Give us a holiday for payroll tax. Wait, I need to think. <laughs> Why do they have to positively Keynesian style pump yes. something up? Okay. Why can't I they agree take with their you. hands out of my little business's yes, pockets? Yes, I agree with you. The best way for, in my opinion, anyone to stimulate an economy is to reduce tax. I absolutely agree. That's 100%. Yes, I agree with you that the, the Keynesian sort of stimulus crack cocaine bent that Scott Morrison's government seems to be carrying on from what was started with Turnbull. Yes, I'm really, uh, I really think that's a bad trend. I really think that's a bad, bad trend. But at the same time, he, people are saying funneling to his mates in big companies, right? This is, so someone might say, well, this, this benefits Qantas and Jetstar, really. And others, as you said, and ancillary yeah. industries. And yes. so what I want is just when we're talking about the issue, let's talk about the actual issue. Let's try and recognize that we have emotions and put the effects of those emotions to the side so we can analyze what the issue is and then we can talk about that rationally. Whereas if we stay emotional... But I am talking rationally. 
Yes, but when you use emotional language, because like I'm the not word just slush fund. I'm not just pointing at you and saying you, you, you. When I say you, I mean in general us. So you plural. So we as a community, we as a though you the have viewership a, and everything. Yeah, though you have a valid point, you're setting up a fence right now which is hindering me to make my argument because I'm not pressing a particular side being emotional that I hate Alan Joyce. All I'm saying is that... But you do hate Alan Joyce. Not really. You said you hated Alan Joyce when we did the thing, not literally hate him. Don't hate him as But a when we were doing the uh, World Economic Forum thing. No, I said that he signed up as one mm. of the big businesses to the Great Reset. Yeah, and you gave me the impression that you thought that he was... Just because uh, you thought dishonest. that... No, just because you thought that I hated him. All I was saying is that he signed up as a big business. Well, that's what we said on screen, but we had conversations off screen. All right. Anyway, all all I'm saying is right here, we seem to prop up big business. And who's we? We as a society and as a country do this all the time. The libs are in, that's what they do. Then Labor gets in and they prop up their own union mates and friends. Like, for instance, in Victoria, where they propped up the bureaucracy, security and and the hotels and those other things. And then our public service is doubled in the At the detriment of the people. Of course. It's all Whereas ScoMo's doing it and it's actually good for people, but only people that can afford a holiday. That's a narrow view because you said it's not necessarily. Not necessarily. If people want to buy a holiday and can afford a holiday, this is great news. If you can't afford a holiday because of work or money or unemployment or whatever, this is not great news. No, no, this this is not good news. Look, if you want to give $1.2 billion back to the sector or back to the economy, what you do is you say, hey, all you businesses that work under the ANZIC code, so when you your business and you yeah. submit a BAS, you're under a code yeah. for industries. These 25 um, businesses... This is what Victoria is doing right now, based on ANZIC codes. You all don't have to pay payroll tax this year. Yep, yep. Or, and hey, so the small business fish and chip owner says, well, what about me? Yeah, I know. Okay, well, then let's go broader. How yep. about, like, I don't have a business in tourism, but what about last year? How about they said to me, hey, that $15,000 you had to pay in corporate tax, you you can have it. You don't have to pay it. You here have it back. You know what we would do with fifteen grand? Yeah, We would buy more cameras. We would get a better... Zoom setup. You'd get a new phone and you'd get all sparkly technology things. We would make Because we need it here. And we would probably hire someone to research shows so we can put this out twice a week. Yeah. Now, that's real market-based decisions. Mm. And instead, and maybe they're, they're funneling it. Look, I'm- yeah, but I mean, uh, we're probably leaving out the uh, added bonus of some sort of way of looking at it where this gets votes. Well, that's what I was saying about pork barreling. Yeah, I know. They were all marginal electorates. I know, but I just don't want that to lead the conversation. It definitely needs to be a part of it. But say if Labor were to critique the Liberals over what what they're doing here, Labor do exactly the same thing. They just do it to their personal friends. That's true. Well, their personal friends are a bit different. They have personal friends in big business. But what I've noticed is Anastasia and Dan Andrews here, they pump up things like the public service. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, they enlarge the public service quite dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. And these guys tend to enlarge big... Let me give you a fact and see what you think of this. Avalon is identified as one of these places you can fly to for half price mm-hmm. tickets. Now, Avalon's not far from us here in Melbourne, yeah, the airport, halfway yeah. to Geelong. Which is... You've been out there. I can't imagine they're making it's a not, huge profit. Th- no. No, Lindsay Fox, who owns it, is... Um, try- he's been spruiking a big development thing for Incidentally, years. Lindsay Fox might have a bad reputation in some sectors, but he is a clever 
and a interesting human being. Yeah, I agree. But Sorry, that was just th- a side. There's a big corporate interest there for him to develop Avalon, not because mm. of this. He's been spruiking it for over 10 years. He really wants to attract money and high-speed rail there. And mm-hmm. What the hell is... I've been to Avalon. What, there's nothing there. I've never been there. It's halfway to Geelong. Sometimes I consider buying a cheaper fare, but then I think, oh, but then I have to go the Ring Road and, yeah. you know, the Western Ring Road and, oh, it's so much, so much further than... Tullamarine for me, so well, tell I just me never why do. they have labelled that as a tourist destination, but not Melbourne. Melbourne is suffering the most. Melbourne CBD is a ghost town, yeah, right? I don't know. And then in Tasmania, they have Burnie and Devonport, mm. both right next to each other, like forty-five minutes drive, or whatever I used it is. To live in Burnie, so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Burnie and Devonport are next to each other, and they're both separately listed as towns for half-price tickets. Mm. This is crazy. Look, I don't know. I just don't have the information. Well, the most plausible explanation is there is a concomitant, at least, or a a nice extra political advantage to all this. Maybe, maybe. If if you assume it's a political advantage, I think you'd be making a mistake at this stage. It might be reasonable emotionally to make that assumption because that's easy. But maybe they did more homework than we know. All I'm saying, seriously, is if you're going to stimulate an economy by the crack cocaine method, um, which I absolutely don't agree with, but if you're going to do it... Then you don't do it this way. Do it do in it a broadly. very broad it's sense. It's not broad enough. Because well, in Victoria shop. especially, uh, small businesses need all the help they can get because those families that the businesses of of. Yeah. gone, they're not going to be getting a $200 yeah. uh, voucher from yeah. Dan Andrews. They're not going to be buying a half-price ticket yeah. because they've got to think, well, I don't even have enough money to see out this year. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be spending money on holidays. Do you know what they could do if you wanted to stimulate <coughs> much better than this, which is targeting big mate? You could give things like the apprenticeship offset. So mm. there's a half-price apprentice. They'll pay half the wages for an apprentice for a year until October next year, or you could give JobKeeper system, right? Which but is that can expensive. be targeted too because there are certain industries and uh, unionised jobs that, that uh, typically vote one way or the other. Yes, but now we have a problem when you target. You get, for example, Screw Turner from Flight Centre. Mm. He, uh, I used to work for him. He has come out saying... Oh, that's right. You, used, you fly planes. I forgot. Yeah, but Flight Centre sell tickets. No, yeah, I, I, know, I work I for know. him in his bike but- shops. Oh, did you? It had bikes. nothing to do with being a pilot. No. Okay. No. no, I sold and fixed bikes. Anyway, he push bikes. He um he's put his hand out now, saying, "I want some of this money." Well, we don't get any of it, even though we sell airfares. And this is what I think is a big problem: is when you start handing out free cash, even those who might have a a free market sense, like myself. Of course, we're going to put our hand out and say, "You had you're doling out cash. I'll take my share as well. I'm yeah. not going to not take it." Wasn't we're talking about flight center, right? Yeah, they were they were investigated and found guilty of price fixing, weren't they? Look, overall, not to suggest, a- not to suggest, just because someone's done something bad in the past, it means that they're malicious now. But I can tell you about the culture in that company. It's not great. Well, what I know about them is when I I went for a job with them and they accepted me and they were going to send me to uni to do a certificate for in tourism, which I really appreciated. They were going to pay for it and everything. Um, It turns out I needed a job faster than having to do that first, so I didn't take it. But I was very impressed that they they think that broadly about their market. 
and their employees. Uh, that's quite common in, in tourism is to people to do a, a little bit of study for that. Like when you sit down with a travel agent, they're, they're generally required to have a bit of Knowledge. travel experience and travel yeah. qualifications. Well, experience is one thing, but... And qualifications. Yeah. I thought I thought it was it was a good look for the company yeah. to do that, and more industries should do that. Well, anyway, people. Sorry, we're getting off topic. You, you, you put out you put out your pork barreling with the electrodes. You pour, you put out your trough to just help. You know, certain but it's industries. The modus, everyone complains. Like it's everybody, it's the way that everybody does it. I mean, like everybody's addicted to these 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 new. I would say unethical practices of trying to manipulate people into into a popularity contest, which is essentially what vo- uh, voting has become. The, the state of um, people's understanding and appreciation and seriousness about voting, in my opinion, and I'm stereotyping admittedly because I don't know for sure, but it seems to me that no one takes any of these things really seriously. It's just who's going to give me the best benefit, I'll vote for them. Yeah, this is or who is my most favourite team? Collingwood, I'll vote for them. So now this extends to a bigger problem. ScoMo's not standing up to the premiers. No. You know what ScoMo is doing? He's doing photo opportunities. Don't. What is this? Uh. What is this? At a time when how many Australians are struggling to get home? Oh, jeez. He's there going, g'day. Oh, it's such a bad, cheesy photo too. What an idiot. I mean, surely you'd have a bit more foresight. I mean... I want to swear at him. I'm emotional about this because I have people contacting me on Discernible in my Facebook inbox saying, I can't get home. Right, let me tell you a real story. There is a guy who used to work here voluntarily uh, a few a few times he came in to do the tech stuff. He is from a European country, mm. like an Eastern European country, and his wife and young kid are over there. Mm. Now, he can't leave. They can't get back here. They have permanent residency, not yeah. permanent residency here, and she's going to uni here doing an MBA or something, right? Yeah. She can't get back in because she's in the queue. That mm. old mate here is laughing. What? Come on, what are you doing? This And people like Andrews are not taking in hotel quarantine people, so our queue is getting longer and our intake is smaller. The kid in, hasn't seen them for a year now. Now, here's the kicker. He said, you know what? I'm done. I can't miss my little kid's life growing up. Yep. So I'm going to just leave Australia and go back to mm. Eastern European country. Right? I'm just going to go there, live our lives there, watch my kid grow up. But he's not allowed to leave. Oh, really? We're banned from... You know, there's an international travel ban on Australians. We're not oh, allowed to leave. No. He's Is that not, an Australian... He just extended Bad. it now. He just yeah. extended it for three months to July. See, this is what people leave. don't understand when they, or don't think about when they live in Austra- Australia. We're an island. There's no land borders. You no. can't get out easily. Well, you're rely- relying on airlines and government. So the family can't come in. He can't go home. He's now deprived. That's one story. I and wonder there are- if the human traffickers that send the boats are now sort of reversing the journey. <laughs> <laughs> boat people out of Australia. So, and other people are messaging me on Facebook. People's lives are being disrupted and meanwhile he's doing this and he's walk. He's doing other shots, like he's hanging around with um, this kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Look, He stands in front of an engine saying, look how wonderful 
this all is, this deal we're doing with Alan Joyce. I wonder here. if he's making these decisions or if other people are saying, we need to do no, this. he is, because if you look at his marketing uh, MO over the years, this is what he does, and he's very good at it, and this works. So why is he doing it? This works. Why is he doing because it? Because he's a spineless prime minister. Oh, come on. Spineless. Emotional language. That's not emotional. That's a metaphor. <laughs> no. What's emotional is he doesn't care it's about us. It's still manipulative. What well, spineless, because politically speaking, he's not standing up to the state premiers when they say, let's do this directive. Let's lock this down. He comes out and puts out a statement and says, I support. Can contrast that to Canada. Canada the federal government is in control of a lot of the uh, the lockdowns and stuff, mm. and some of the states are pushing back. Same in the US. Biden is saying, blah, 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 and some of the states, Mississippi, um, South Dakota, Texas, and Florida, are saying, no, we're going to do X. In Australia, you would expect that. You would expect that two levels, this is called federalism, two levels of government mm. advocate on different things. We don't have that. That's why I call them spineless. I still feel it's unkind. Perhaps it is unkind. Perhaps there's another way we could say it. Because, look, I agree with you. He's not <clears throat> he's not taking a leadership role that he should be on a national crisis. This is not a state crisis. This is a national crisis. Mm. Some could say it was. it's an international crisis. Whether the international crisis is the disease process or the, 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 the crisis is how governments are treating their people. Mm. Whichever way you look at it, he's not taking the leadership role you would expect a prime minister to be taking. There is opportunities he's missing. Opportunities? Opportunities to be a leader, to be someone who the country can look towards for hope. But we're not getting any of that from our state premiers. We're getting bickering like children. But I get the sense what you just said about him, he needs to give hope, that he feels this is giving hope. Maybe. We can do it, Australia. I don't... Yeah, I know. But it's just so difficult to get a perspective that isn't tainted by the narratives that are circling around everywhere. Mm. It's That's why I don't like watching news because it messes with my thought processes so that I find it difficult to remain... I mean, it's hard to remain objective anyway. It's more difficult to remain objective when you've got all the news and the and the narratives swirling around in your head as well as your own emotions and things. Because it's not that I'm unhappy with how he, what he's doing. I'm getting that you're unhappy with what he's doing and I'm not suggesting that... I'm not suggesting that you're wrong necessarily... But I feel like it's necessary to take the emotion out of the discussion because that's happening everywhere anyway. Do you get? Do you I, I know get what you're what saying. I mean? I'm just not sure if being completely unemotional is always the best way. I know well, not completely us. unemotional, but just be conscious of you know what emotional language is doing to how someone who hears it. Okay. Well, politically. I, I think I could make an argument very strongly that he's politically spineless. Not just now, when he took the leadership yeah. from Turnbull. Is there another way that you can say that that isn't spineless? Because that's a metaphor. Let's let's. He has no. He has no. He's not taking his no. leadership role. 
No, even when he rose to be the prime minister, mm. he just let things sort of roll down the hill and accumulate. Yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, I, w- I would communicate that same idea as saying he's not leading. He's not being a leader. He's, uh, he's, he's not being responsible for the position that he holds. Okay. But, there's but no, you could say well, that that's spineless, but yeah. you could also say it that way and say, well, that's a little bit more... How, how do you fix spinelessness? Because if, if you say that he's not being the leader that he should be or he's not behaving in a way that's befitting a federal prime minister in his relationship to the states, there's a direct correlation between what I've just said and what the possible solution might be. Whereas if you just call someone spineless, there's no... It's kind of... You need to say more to... Be con- a con- make it a constructive criticism. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of Sorry, halfway I'm not... through my thought of it. In the sense As we of know from I'm last week, sometimes I'm also emotional. So I, I totally I totally get the, the emotional side of what's happening. And, you know, this year and last year, this year hasn't been much better than last year, to be honest. Yeah. And there's crazy stuff happening that doesn't make any sense. It's like we're in the twilight zone. It's like we've been in the twilight zone for... Nearly 18 months. I think it does make sense. You've it been makes a, sense in some warped you've, way. You've been a large part of helping me to make sense of what we're seeing, right? Well, maybe you can help me make sense of it. Well, I, I really think that this guy here is is Scotty from marketing, and the reason why I'm calling him out that I'm call, and I'm calling him spineless is because I'm trying to undo what he portrays, which is we are all... You look at his Facebook feed, man, and I know every mm. politician just says we're doing well. Julie Gillard did it too. Mm. Everyone does it. But this guy in particular, his actions don't line up with his image. For example, Section 18C of the Racial Discrimination Act, he just bails out of that. What about the fact that he doesn't stand up when when it comes to um, the religious... He's a religious dude. Yeah, I know. And I know his particular brand of Christianity quite intimately. And he has certain beliefs that he's expressed in the past. And yet when it comes to the Andrews... uh, uh, was non-conversion the, therapy bill yeah, or whatever yeah. it was. Um, he can't find a spine. Here we go with the language you don't like again. He can't find a spine to say what we've all been saying, which is, okay, we don't want that conversion therapy and that's wrong, but all this other stuff's rubbish and needs to go. He just says, oh, no, it's all good. Yeah. It's happening right now with the libs in Victoria. This is why I didn't vote for him. Oh, you didn't? No. Oh. I haven't voted for the liberals for a while. Um... But at the same time, uh, I I, th- I think I said a couple of weeks ago that I, I don't even think that his character is right for the position that he holds. He didn't want to be prime minister. I don't know that he didn't want. Well, according that, that, to... That's the image. According to what was reported and what he said, that he didn't want mm. to be prime minister. And I would have preferred someone a little bit more passionate. Mm. Because that's what we need in an, in an emotional world where things are happening and things are scary. You need someone who's passionately confident about the answer. And he is portraying just, it's too, <laughs> look, I don't, he looks like a giant guinea pig. <laughs> guinea pig, teddy bear. Going like in a suit, a guinea pig suit, yeah. going, hey, this is children's television. Yep. It's it's embarrassing, yep. to be honest. I want I want a leader I can respect and I can follow. You know what he is? 
he's a really good prime minister for a different time. Yeah. Peace time. Yeah, he's not he's not the right guy for the for the moment. We need someone. We need a Winston Churchill type character. You know character what, Josh? Right I can never say Brunberg. his last name. I would like to see and hear more of him because I think uh, he might have something really valuable. But I haven't heard enough to 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 know what he thinks and how he thinks. And yeah, I'm actually starting to wonder if it would have been better to have uh, who's the guy he was running against at the time? Shorten. Did he beat the election? Yeah, he beat Shorten in the election. And we all, a lot of people didn't want Shorten. But I felt like Shorten might have been a little bit better than ScoMo, yeah. but probably wouldn't have been suited for this time either. You reckon? No, I don't think so. Okay. I think he he would have been too. Uh, he he doesn't have answers. Do you know, what I mean? we needed someone right now like a Truman, where it's like I don't give a rip what everybody says. Yeah. I have. I'm gonna do this. Yeah. I mean, you can disagree. And lots yep. of lots of people have, yep. um, but what we need right now is someone with spine. <laughs> oh, now how the tables have turned! All right, look, we're going to have Damien Curie back on to see his view on all of this. <coughs> Once again, we're invaded by the other side of Australia. Great presenter here, Damien Curie joins us. He's a public relations expert and someone who I'd really love to help get on my side and beat Josh in this argument, Damien. We were just talking about. ScoMo, his lack of spine, and the way he has bankrolled his um, $1.2 billion half-price airfare packages through his best mate, Alan Joyce, and all this kind of stuff. As you heard, Josh thinks that... Um, I think that's a convenient narrative that's been created to get the attention of the fact that Labor do exactly the same thing. Come on, Damien. Surely I'm right here. There, there is validity to Labor's argument here that Liberals always fix the problems by bankrolling their big mates. And just to be clear, I don't necessarily agree with it. Like, I think stimulus is the wrong thing to do. The Keynesian stimulus yeah. is the wrong thing to do for our economy. Yeah. But I'm just pointing out, I feel like Labor's being completely hypocritical. Yeah, look, I think stimulus directed in a specific direction like that to say, you know, this particular industry and this particular company, I mean, you can argue it's kind of, it's a national carrier. So there's a sort of a quasi governmental nature to it, but it is a private company, um, a public company, I mean, but it's, 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 it's not a government entity. Um, I don't think it's right for governments fundamentally to be uh, directing and channeling money in a particular direction like that. I think they should, or even the t we've got a thing in Queensland where we're offering a whopping $200 if you'll go and have a holiday up in North Queensland. Um, it's one of Anastasia's little tricks. Um, but that sort of thing I find a, a little a little sickening. And I, I think it's patronising, it's nanny state, it's paternalistic, it's all that stuff. And I just wish they'd, you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to do stimulus, do tax cuts. Yeah, you exactly. Know, let people make their own minds up. Let business do its own thing, and and leave leave it alone. You know, it's not the role of government, especially a liberal party, to be interfering this much. And I generally am not happy with Scott Morrison's, um, you know, sort of centrist swing that he's had um, since he's been re-elected, and I think he's disappointing a lot of his his conservative base. And, you know, I think he's running the country by market research and because he's a marketing guy. So, Damien, who have we got left to stand up for what you just talked about? Like, let companies make their own decisions. Let the market decide because we make smarter decisions. Because you've got, you've got 
the Labor Party, you've got the Greens, you've got Liberal now, they're all doing the same thing. You're all funneling into special interests to get the job done. When you know my view on this, that it can't possibly change, the system can't change because um, it, it has to, the culture has to change first. The system can never change until the culture changes because the system's beholden to the culture. So until we have enough people saying, I want, uh, or I, at least I understand liberalism, um, and I want liberalism in my country because I think it's the best system that gets the best and most efficient outcomes and use of resources and benefit for everybody. Uh, until you get people across that idea, uh, you're never going to get a change because the politicians are beholden to the market research to a certain extent. Now, you can be a leader and you can go out with a strong message, um, but you've got to do that as a politician. If you want to stay in power, you have to do that very gradually and very carefully because you can't, be, you can't afford to alienate the other side too much um, or you're out of power. So what's the point? So, but then if you're in power and you're not doing what you want to do, what's the point? So it's really culture. And, and that's, why, you know, that's why we're doing what we're doing and just trying to, what shocked me, as I always say, when I came back to Australia was, you know, there doesn't seem to be two sides here. It's all one side. It's all the, you know, the, the, the old um, hyper-simplistic, uh, Robin Hood narrative of, you know, rich man, bad, poor man, good, rich man takes stuff from poor man, you know, therefore rich man needs to be brought down. And that's really kind of the level we're at. It's not a very high level. And we somehow need to educate people and people need to educate themselves if we're going to survive as a nation, uh, as, as we knew it, as a free and, uh, a free and wealthy nation. That little bit just sounded like the worst Grimm's fairy tale sub- summary I've ever heard. Right. Okay. I'm not very sophisticated in my arguments, Josh, so you just have to be gentle with me. But, Damien, I wanted to put this with you. Not an academic. Um, Socialism, like you said, is what the people seem to want and have been addicted to. And the thing that I've been thinking about and struggling about is how do you get off a socialism socialism system um, once you're on it? Yeah, well, look, that's a question I'd bounce right back to you. I have no idea. Like, I mean, I think, I think the only way you can do it is this gradual cultural shift and just building awareness. But we do a dreadful job of teaching people, you know, and we have done, the problem is we have done a very, very bad job for many, many years. Um, the Liberal Party, the political uh, right wing politics has done a terrible job over the years of getting its message across. Um, it's left it to outs because of the nature of conservatives, as Douglas Murray says, you know, the nature of conservatives is to be conservative. You know, we don't really want the system to change and, you know, keep everything the same is not something that sort of rallies everybody out to to go march, you know? Yeah. Keep everything the same. (laughs) It's kind of boring. Um, I think that that's, uh, a bit of a, a straw man because I know that conservative people are extremely, well, conservative intellectuals are extremely intelligent and they think very deeply about these things and they don't just keep things around for keeping it around's sake. It's more about not throwing the baby out with the bathwater being completely addicted to change. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think that's that's having some respect for, and it goes back to, I want to bring it back to Meghan Markle, but having respect for institutions is something you get as you get older, right? I had no respect for institutions or ritual or anything when I was 
a brash young 20 something. I was like, you know, it's all nonsense. It's all rubbish. The royalties are rubbish. Yeah. Religion is rubbish. It took me a long time to understand the value of these things in humans' lives and the message and the symbolism and the importance of that and the connection to history and where our culture came from. I mean, that stuff has to be taught and it isn't being taught. So I think, you know, until until you start there, I mean, socialism has got a hold of the education system. The socialist narrative is very strong in the education system at the moment and it, it's not even... This is, this is what I'm saying. Like, he's, at least in America, you've got very strong and vocal conservative voices that are taken seriously, right? Here, we've got Pauline Hansen, who's making more sense every day. But when she started out, you know, I had to cover her as a young reporter. And it was, you know, she was, a, she was a bit of a joke, to say the least, in terms of her attitude to Asians and all sorts of things. So she was, she was pretty disgraceful in the, in the beginning. Um, and I think, you know, there's just this attitude about conservatives that they're all, you know, crazy and, and, and far right racist lunatics. It's a narrative that's present in the United States, but there's a very strong conservative, intelligent, you know, center right platform and speakers and people in the media and everything that push back on that. But not and yet. we don't have that in Australia. There's no pushback, right? There's nothing. I think it's like, what we need, and, and Sky News, maybe. this is a long-term goal or a medium-term goal. It's not really something you can do now. But I think what we need is charter schools that say to the government, you know, we're not interested in your accreditation. Um, we're going to select uh, promising students to come in and train from year 10, and we're going to train you um, to be politicians and business leaders and statesmen and academics um, so that we can get some depth back into the public discourse at least and get away from this um, emotional crack cocaine that we're all addicted to with media. This is why you're on the show. That's some rational thinking right there. Uh, we do have a crack cocaine problem, it seems, because even the most liberal amongst us in terms of small L, you know, classical market liberalism, put our hands put our hands out for a handout when it comes. If you you have panic buying in Queensland, right, Damien? Yeah, a little bit. Yep. So when when panic buying happens, when you do a lockdown, everyone goes for toilet paper. You know, this is the madness of crowds from Douglas Murray, right? People pile on because they see other people piling on. And you have this self-reinforcing structure. And, you know, right now we've got people like Screw Turner up in your part of the world. I was just telling Josh, he's got his handout saying, where's our handout from this $1.2 billion package? you got WA with a handout saying, well, we're, I, no, no, we're in WA on the list. You know, come on, give us some money. And it seems that we're stuck in a cycle now where I, I feel like I would do it too. I mean, if there's free money on offer, why would I want to be disadvantaged well, in my business, yeah. say the People's Project? Yeah, give me some right. of that sweet socialist honey as well. Absolutely. We'll take 0.01% of the ABC's budget to help us out a lot. Um, and you get a lot more value for your money. Uh, but, um, cheesy voiceover guy comes in. Uh, but I think I think what you're missing with that, though, Matt, is those guys are putting up their hands for the money because it's being handed out, right? Mm. Um, so you'd be a fool not to take it. It's not that Screw Turner, who runs Flight Center, is is a uh, you know is a socialist. It's just that. You know, if they're going to tax the living daylights out of me and then they're going to give some back, I'm going to take it back, right? Especially if I have to compete with competitors who are getting it given to them. And yeah, I but think this that's is a panic point. buying situation. So is the, the government indulging in the free market again, you know, when it shouldn't be. Yeah, giving an advantage to Qantas. 
now we're in a panic buying spiral then where all of our principles go out the window. If you were truly principled, you would stand up and say, I'm not going to take that handout because I don't want to perpetuate this cash churn culture in the government, but no one will. So they're going to win. I don't know that that's true. Um, I would say, yes, give me that money and it will go to my savings and I'll use it well. Um, If you're entitled to it by the decree of government, then um, there's no reason why you shouldn't take it. It's not immoral or anything like that. To, but do something with it. Mm. I mean, you can't, you can't tell everyone, okay, just allow socialism to completely bankrupt you as you stand on your moral soapbox mm. and say, I'm not taking it. Of course. I mean, can't. you're not going to be able to do anything with that position. Mm. Um, I think what people need is to recognise that this is the economy we're in, make smart decisions, but also plan for the future and educate the people around you, have conversations with your family and friends, talk about socialism. Most people hear that word and they think they understand what it means. Um, But ultimately what we need to do is have more discussion between family members and friends and over coffee. That's why I called the show Coffee with Josh, because I want people to, regular people to talk, not have discussions that are facilitated by media who have an agenda or discussions in the public facilitated by politicians who have agendas. We need to talk and separate ourselves from this, these uh, people who are just vying for our attention nonstop. It's, Sometimes it, it, it can be really flattering, but ultimately I think we're a poorer society because everybody seems to be running around trying to get some sort of popularity. Yeah, well, I'll take that as a swipe at the other side, Josh, you know. Um, but I'll <laughs> not that I'm one to take offense. No, look, I think you've got to get it. Look, you've got to get attention before you can get your message across. You've got to get attention before you can get a point across. And it's real struggle, right? Because, you know, and Matt and I have this conversation a lot, you know, you could just do, you know, be, be a, be a, um, you know, oxytocin producer, uh, get everybody hooked on the adrenaline of getting their, having their uh, confirmation bias validated. Um, And then they get the little hit of oxytocin, feel great and want to watch a show more. Um, and that's kind of what the main, mainstream media has done. And that's why it's polarised into those, those two sides because, you know, people want to listen to get a kick, to get a hit, to get affirmed. Um, so when you start doing shows like this that are kind of going into the grey areas, you're going to get people reacting saying, oh, you're being a bit of a wimp, you're being a bit wishy-washy, you're not being strong enough, uh, you're not taking a side. Um, now, I've just criticised the Prime Minister for the very same thing, so I'm just thinking about that contradiction in my mind now. I'll come back to that later. But um, I think that, you know, you've got to make a decision. And, uh, yeah, we're going to have a smaller audience perhaps because we're, we're going uh, a little bit deeper. But then I think there's a new craving for depth. So I think there might be, we might surprise ourselves and get more, more audience from being a little bit more, you know, rational or at least inquisitive uh, and, and not pretending that we've got simple answers to, to everything all the time, you know. I think also I think there's, there's with the culture both. that we're in, um, in a free market system, the advantage is to see an opportunity before others. And I think there is an opportunity for depth and being there first might not seem prestigious at the time or, or even popular, 
but just like the Jordan Peterson phenomena and the the rise of the or the resurgence of the the conservative in America, it was the people that were already there slogging it out that got the best rise. Uh, and I think that's what needs to happen in Australia. We need to take the chance to be there. So when people finally find us, it's a breath of fresh air and we've already had the experience. We're not new to the scene. We've, we've done the due diligence and we've gone through the suffering so that we can accept uh, responsibility for the rise in fame. And it's not just something that we're a wave we're riding or something. We're actually starting the motion. The, yeah. uh, this this yeah. sums up what we're doing, right, Damien, with um, the whole discernible platform where we're really positioning ourselves for what's to come. And I think it's exactly what you've both espoused, which is these intelligent conversations of depth, of nuance. And in the meantime, we will take that flack of being too grey in the middle because I think what we're doing is very important. So thank you very much for joining us, Damien, all the way from Queensland. I, I didn't mean it as a criticism. It's just, it's uh, it's just that I think there's room for both. That's what I think we need. I think we need because we've got to have you've got to attract people, right? And then and then get them into this into this format. And I think more people are getting into these longer formats, and that's great. I mean, I'm breaking every rule of television I was ever taught with the other side in terms of putting long, you know, interviews and doing half hour interviews and all that sort of stuff. I mean, it's just every time I do it, I think, oh God, you know, there goes another bunch of viewers. But mm. Hey, you know, at a certain point, you're just going to go, well, this is what we are. <laughs> Pleasure to have you on board, Damien. Uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Great to talk to you guys. See you. You know what? This is, what, episode four of this season? Mm-hmm. It was a big one. Yeah, I feel I emotionally said, drained. Yeah, because I said spineless and you didn't like it. <laughs> and then you said spineless later on. No, it you was, said he's lacking a spine. It was, it, yeah. What See, a lacking hypocrite. Spine. No, come on. Was that emotional language? Was that emotional? You're baiting me now. Don't do that. I'm not, I'm, I don't have my defences. Um, uh. But also, I was filming yesterday for the Coffee with Josh Worldview series and... Christianity. Filming stuff, you know, people might not realise, it really does take it out of you, even though you're not doing anything physical necessarily. Just doing this show, the, the, um, the stress of thinking and speaking and getting your words out and the emotional stuff, it, it really does take it out of you, doesn't it? Some of us are made of butter and some of us are made of steel. What can I say? <laughs> uh, it is surprisingly... I really walked into that, didn't I? It was surprisingly exhausting. <coughs> when I interview someone in long form, that's exactly what happens. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough. I hope that everybody appreciates that this isn't an easy job. No. Well, uh, to that end, you can help us out by subscribing to us on YouTube. Uh, where else can you go? Uh, most important is discernible.io, the website. Sign up mm. for the crew because we're sending out this week. I'm going to be sending out the Q&A live event and a behind-the-scenes chat with us, like a 30-minute chat where we got quite deep. Remember a couple of episodes ago we filmed behind the scenes? We never put it to air. You don't remember this? Good, because you said some personal stuff and I said some personal <laughs> stuff. So that's going out to the email list. Um, go to discernible.io and you is that why you keep the lens caps off all the cameras after we finish? Sometimes we're talking here and I'm looking at cameras and stuff, and he's like, "Why are you looking at the yeah, cameras? Because we're filming the cameras. You're doing. <laughs> uh, I knew that you would do stuff like that. Uh, well, look, whatever I said, uh, it, it was bad time. I'm completely in denial. I'm right, vehemently yeah. denying it. It was no. very good. 
And the other thing, of course, is uh, we are going to start having sponsors on the show. Are we? Paid sponsorships. Man, that would be such a relief. Why? Because it feels like... It feels like every time we do a season, or even if sometimes every time we do a show, it feels the like, man, one. I hope, I hope this keeps going. You know. Yeah. So first sponsor is going to be Philip Morris, the cigarette company. Really? Gina Reinhardt. <laughs> You're lying to me. <laughs> Who else can we get? What's the worst one you could get? How about the mining lobby or something? Probably uh, sponsored Coal. by the Chinese Communist Party. No, because we hammer them all the time. But that's why it's the worst one. <laughs> We need sponsorships that undermine us. No, seriously, if you're interested in sponsoring the show, um, we're taking on corporate sponsors. Um, it's it's quite a lot of money. It's thousands of dollars. But mm. anyway, um, we're going to try and um, stick around for the long haul. That's the point. Mm. So you may see us next week saying, this show is sponsored by Clive Palmer. Yeah, and you'll see like products on the table. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And we'll be sitting back wearing weird clothes <laughs> and drinking a weird beverage. <laughs> if you, you know that it's gone wrong if we hear saying... The CCP, <laughs> the Chinese Chinese Christian Party, Chinese, Chinese Communist Party are the best party. Okay, I can't say anything because they're very xenophobic. Oh, okay, yeah, that's how you know that we've we've sold out to the devil. All right, have a good week. It looks like uh, interesting things happening this week. The WorkSafe investigation hasn't really changed. Ken, uh, it's been in the news, but Ken mm. Phillips told me, look, it's just they've it's got still until June. On. Until June, so Dan and friends are under criminal investigation. Yeah, and I carries know. Yeah. prison sentences. They've got until June to make a decision whether to prosecute or not. But the key is, if they decide not to prosecute, they have to publish their reasons why. Yeah, exactly. Which it's a little bit of truth is going to go a long way in this environment because after that inquiry conclusion, I was so annoyed. I was so annoyed. A lot of people were. Mm. All right, have a good week. Make sure you go to cinema.io and join the crew and we'll send you those behind the scenes stuff. Have a good week. And make sure you go eat something good and be happy. Sorry, it doesn't but even sound easy. like... But that's easy. To be happy, you eat meat. It doesn't even sound like Unless English, does it? If you're vegan, you know what you can have? Cashew-based cheese items. Like, you can get vegan cheesecakes. No. All right, plug. Plug. I'm Kitty nothing Kadamba. that starts with the letter V. Very nice. Kitty Kadamba no, bars. Nice. There's a, a bar called Kitty Kadamba. She's changed the name to Yum Bars. They're vegan. They're from Byron Bay. They're oh, really? ice cream. Oh, you're plugging something. Are they, are they a corporate sponsor? I wish. You know what? Oh, wouldn't it be we awesome if our corporate sponsor would actually be so, like, you know, Baker's Delight or something like Baker's that Delight. so that we could have some Shut food up. on the table or some fruit or something? Fruit. Oh, that's right. You want to eat meat. Hey, but- you're, Oh, man. Can I get a change out of partner? Don't send us money, yum bars. <laughs> send us ice cream. That's all we want for yum the bars, sponsorship. Yeah, They're totally. yum bars. They're amazing. But it's vegan, isn't it? It's so good. Go get them in your free, at health vegan. food shops. Go check out yum bars. Y-U-M-B-A-H or something. I always thought vegans so were good. pretty spineless. It's better ice cream. <laughs> Shut up. It's better ice cream than real ice cream. Really? How can... No, that it doesn't is. make any sense. Because My brain it's is exploding. It's cashews, so it's real, real nutty. It has a depth of flavor that you don't get. I do I'm like skeptical. cream. I do like cream. This sounds like a uh, fluff piece. Do you know what you do? There's some micro expressions going on right now. You know what you do? You get you get the kitty kadamba yum bars, the vegan yum bars, put it in a bowl, you cover it in cream. See his eyes, you cream. know this is pure joy. So you got the best of both worlds. You got the <laughs> vegan ice cream with cashews and you got the cream making it a, a real See if ice you can cream tell again. mine. Vegan? Hey. Agree. Have a good week. <laughs>